द लॉ स्कूल ऑफ अमेरिका An injunction is a legal and equitable remedy in the form of a special court order that compels a party to do or refrain from specific acts. When a court employs the extraordinary remedy of injunction, it directs the conduct of a party and does so with the backing of its full coercive powers. A party that fails to comply with an injunction faces criminal or civil penalties, including possible monetary sanctions and even imprisonment. They can also be charged with contempt of court. Counter injunctions are injunctions that stop or reverse the enforcement of another injunction. Rationale. The injunction is an equitable remedy, that is, a remedy that originated in the English courts of equity. Like other equitable remedies, it has traditionally been given when a wrong cannot be effectively remedied by an award of money damages. The doctrine that reflects this is the requirement that an injunction can be given only when there is no adequate remedy at law. Injunctions are intended to make whole again someone whose rights have been violated. Nevertheless, when deciding whether to grant an injunction, courts also take into account the interests of non-parties, that is, the public interest. When deciding whether to give an injunction and deciding what its scope should be, courts give special attention to questions of fairness and good faith. One manifestation of this is that injunctions are subject to equitable defenses, such as laches and unclean hands. Injunctions are given in many different kinds of cases. They can prohibit future violations of the law, such as trespass to real property, infringement of a patent, or the violation of a constitutional right. For example, the free exercise of religion, or they can require the defendant to repair past violations of the law. An injunction can require someone to do something, like clean up an oil spill or remove a spike fence. or it can prohibit someone from doing something like using an illegally obtained trade secret an injunction that requires conduct is called a mandatory injunction an injunction that prohibits conduct is called a prohibitory injunction many injunctions are both that is they have both mandatory and prohibitory components because they require some conduct and forbid other conduct when an injunction is given it can be enforced with equitable enforcement mechanisms such as contempt It can also be modified or dissolved upon a proper motion to the court if circumstances change in the future. These features of the injunction allow a court granting one to manage the behavior of the parties. That is the most important distinction between the injunction and another non-monetary remedy in American law, the declaratory judgment. Another way these two remedies are distinguished is that the declaratory judgment is sometimes available at an earlier point in a dispute than the injunction. Worldwide United States history injunctions have been especially important at two moments in american history first in the late 19th and early 20th century federal courts used injunctions to break strikes by unions for example after the united states government successfully used an injunction to outlaw the pullman boycott in 1894 and in redevs employers found that they could obtain federal court injunctions to ban strikes and organizing activities of all kinds by unions These injunctions were often extremely broad. One injunction issued by a federal court in the 1920s effectively barred the United Mine Workers of America from talking to workers who had signed yellow dog contracts with their employers. Unable to limit what they called government by injunction in the courts, labor and its allies persuaded the United States Congress in 1932 to pass the Norris LaGuardia Act, which imposed so many procedural and substantive limits on the federal court's power to issue injunctions that it effectively prohibited federal court from issuing injunctions in cases arising out of labor disputes. A number of states followed suit and enacted Little Norris LaGuardia Acts that imposed similar limitations on state court's powers. 
the courts have since recognized a limited exception to the Norris LaGuardia Act's strict limitations in those cases in which a party seeks injunctive relief to enforce the grievance arbitration provisions of a collective bargaining agreement. Second, injunctions were crucial to the second half of the 20th century in the desegregation of American schools. Federal courts gave injunctions that carried out the command of Brown v. Board of Education to integrate public schools in the United States, and at times courts took over the management of public schools in order to ensure compliance. An injunction that puts a court in the position of taking over and administering an institution, such as a school, a prison, or a hospital, is often called a structural injunction. Injunctions remain widely used to require government officials to comply with the Constitution, and they are also frequently used in private law disputes about intellectual property, real property, and contracts. Many state and federal statutes, including environmental statutes, civil rights statutes and employment discrimination statutes, are enforced with injunctions. Forms Injunctions in the United States tend to come in three main forms, temporary injunctions, preliminary injunctions and permanent injunctions. For both temporary restraining orders and preliminary injunctions, the goal is usually to preserve the status quo until the court is able to decide the case. Temporary Restraining Orders A special kind of injunction that may be issued before trial is called a Temporary Restraining Order or TRO. A TRO may be issued without notice to the other party or hearing. A TRO will be given only for a short period of time before a court can schedule a hearing at which the restrained person may appear and contest the order. If the TRO is contested, the court must decide whether to issue a preliminary injunction. Temporary restraining orders are often, but not exclusively, given to prevent domestic violence, stalking, sexual assault, or harassment. Preliminary injunctions Preliminary injunctions are given before trial. Because they are issued at an early stage, before the court has heard the evidence and made a decision in the case, they are more rarely given. The requirements for a preliminary injunction tend to be the same as for a permanent injunction, with the additional requirement that the party asking for the injunction is likely to succeed on the merits. Permanent injunctions Permanent injunctions are issued after trial. Different federal and state courts sometimes have slightly different requirements for obtaining a permanent injunction. The Supreme Court enumerated the traditional four-factor test in eBay Incorporated v. Merck Exchange, LLC as 1. The plaintiff has suffered irreparable injury. 2. Remedies available at law are inadequate to compensate that injury. 3. Considering the balance of hardships between the plaintiff and defendant, a remedy in equity is warranted, and 4. The public interest would not be deserved by an injunction. The balance of hardships inquiry is also sometimes called the undue hardship defense. A stay pending appeal is a mechanism allowing a losing party to delay enforcement of an injunction while appeal is pending after final judgment has been granted by a lower court. Antitrust The DOJ and the FTC have investigated patent holders in the United States for seeking preliminary injunctions against accused infringers of standard essential patents, or patents that the patent holder must license on reasonable and non-discriminatory terms. There is an ongoing debate among legal and economic scholars with major implications for antitrust policy in the United States as well as in other countries over the statutory limits to the patent holder's right to seek and obtain injunctive relief against infringers of standard essential patents. Citing concerns of the absence of competition facing the patent holder once its technology is locked into the standard, some scholars argue that the holder of a standard essential patent should face antitrust liability when seeking an injunction against an implementer of a standard. 
Other scholars assert that patent holders are not contractually restrained from pursuing injunctions for standard essential patent claims and that patent law is already capable of determining whether an injunction against an infringer of standard essential patents will impose a net cost on consumers, thus obviating the role of antitrust enforcement. United Kingdom Super Injunctions In England and Wales, injunctions whose existence and details may not be legally reported, in addition to facts or allegations which may not be disclosed, have been issued, they have been informally dubbed super injunctions. An example was the super injunction raised in September 2009 by Carter Ruck solicitors on behalf of oil trader Trafigura, prohibiting the reporting of an internal Trafigura report into the 2006 Ivory Coast toxic waste dump scandal. The existence of the super injunction was revealed only when it was referred to in a parliamentary question that was subsequently circulated on the Internet. Parliamentary privilege protects statements by MPs in Parliament which would otherwise be held to be in contempt of court. Before it could be challenged in court, the injunction was buried to permit reporting of the question. By long legal tradition, parliamentary proceedings may be reported without restriction. Parliamentary proceedings are covered by absolute privilege. But the reporting of those proceedings in newspapers is only covered by qualified privilege. Another example of the use of a super injunction was in a libel case in which a plaintiff who claimed he was defamed by family members in a dispute over a multi-million pound family trust obtained anonymity for himself and for his relatives. Roy Greenslade credits the former editor of The Guardian, Alan Rusbridger, with coining the word super injunction in an article about the Trafigure affair in September 2009. The term hyperinjunction has also been used to describe an injunction similar to a superinjunction but also including an order that the injunction must not be discussed with members of parliament, journalists, or lawyers. One known hyperinjunction was obtained at the High Court in 2006, preventing its subject from saying that paint used in water tanks on passenger ships can break down and release potentially toxic chemicals. This example became public knowledge in parliament under parliamentary privilege. By May 2011, Private Eye claimed to be aware of 53 super injunctions and anonymized privacy injunctions, though Lord Neuberger's report into the use of super injunctions revealed that only two super injunctions had been granted since January 2010. Many media sources were wrongly describing all gagging orders as super injunctions. The widespread media coverage of super injunctions led to a drop in numbers after 2011, however four were granted in the first five months of 2015. Australia in the state of New South Wales, a court may grant an apprehended violence order, APO, to a person who fears violence, harassment, abuse, or stalking. The order prohibits the defendant from assaulting, harassing, threatening, stalking, or intimidating the person seeking the order. Other conditions may be included, such as a prohibition against contacting the person or attempting to find the person online. A court may issue the order if it believes a person has reasonable grounds for their fears or has no reasonable grounds for their fears. Non-compliance may result in the imposition of a fine, imprisonment, or both, and deportation. The Law School of America In conflict of laws, the choice of law rules for tort are intended to select a lex cause by which to determine the nature and scope of the judicial remedy to claim damages for loss or damage suffered. History the first attempts to establish a coherent choice of law rule for tort cases involving a foreign law element varied between favoring the lex fori, for example, the law of the court, and the lex loci delicti commissi, for example, the law of the place where the tort was committed. The public policy of territorial sovereignty was always the principal consideration. Hence, 
The forum courts claim their right to apply their laws to determine whether any lawsuit initiated in their jurisdiction allowed a remedy. Equally, it is the commission of a tort that vests a right of action in a claimant and therefore, it should always be for the law of the place where that right was created to determine the extent of any remedy flowing from it. In the end, a compromise emerged where the lex loci delicti was the first point of reference but courts retained a discretion to substitute the lex fori if the foreign law was deemed unfair and other practical considerations pointed to the application of forum law. In the U.S., see the New York decision in Babcock v. Jackson, 1963, for a discussion of the issues. This led to a debate in which state interests, rather than strict territorial connections, were suggested as the basis of a new test. In 1971, the American Law Institute produced the second conflicts restatements and Section 6 provides that the applicable law should be the one with the most significant relationship to the tort. In other common law states, a parallel movement occurred and resulted in the adoption of a proper law test. In substance, both forms are similar in their approach. Explanation The presumptive choice of law rule for tort is that the proper law applies. This refers to the law that has the greatest relevance to the issues involved. In public policy terms, this is usually the law of the place where the key elements of the wrong were performed or occurred, the lex loci delicti. So, if A is a pedestrian injured by B's negligent driving, the law of the state in which the injury occurs would logically be applied because, in public policy terms, the citizens of that state have a clear interest in regulating the standard of driving on their roads. That either or both the parties might have domiciles outside that state would be irrelevant. But, if A buys a car from B in state X and drives it into state Y where A is injured by a defect in the car, the choice of law is not as evident, there is potential liability both for breach of contract and for negligent misstatement, deceit and failure to adequately maintain the vehicle prior to sale. There is no genuine connection either in fact or law with the law of state Y. It was a pure chance that the injury occurred there. In fact, the law of state X is the lex loci contractus and the most appropriate law since everything relevant to the potential tortious liability occurred in that state which has the greatest interest in maintaining consumer confidence in the motor trade. Thus, no matter where A sues B, the forum court should apply the law of state X to resolve the various causes of action. For these purposes, the forum convenience would be the state in which B has residence and or holds assets. One of the key considerations in any conflict dispute is the enforceability of the resulting judgment. Courts are more willing to accept cases with a foreign law element when one of the parties is domiciled or has residence within their territorial jurisdiction, or has assets against which judgment can be levied. However, if the tort was intentional, there are two competing theories as to which law is the most appropriate. For example, a writes a defamatory letter in state X and posts it to be in state Y clearly damaging the reputation of C in state Y. The initiatory or subjective theory provides that the proper law is the law of the state in which all the initial components of the tort occurred. In the example given, a may never have left state X and the argument would be made that state X would have the better claim to determine the extent of liability for those who, whether temporarily or not, owed allegiance. Hence, if A sent a reference to B about C in the ordinary course of business or submitted for publication by B a review of an artistic work by C, the policy claims of state X would be strong. The terminatory or objective theory provides that the law of the state in which the last component occurred, for example, where the loss or damage was sustained, should be the proper law. Here, the argument is that unless and until the damage is sustained, the tort is not complete. Unlike criminal law, there is no liability for attempted tort. Hence, 
since the tort does not exist to give rise to liability until the letter is read by B in state Y, only state Y has an interest in the application of its laws. There is no international agreement on which theory is to be preferred and each state therefore applies its local choice of law rules. But the enforceability of any judgment would be a relevant consideration. Suppose that the law of state X might offer a partial or a complete defense to A hence, C naturally prefers to invoke the jurisdiction of state-wise courts. If there is no system for reciprocal and automatic registration and enforcement of judgments between the two states, state Y, and any other state in which jurisdiction might be sought, would be reluctant to accept the case since no court likes to waste its time in hearing a case if it is not going to be enforceable. In summary, therefore, selecting the proper law in tort cases is subject to a balancing of public policy and practical considerations and, although each set of choice of law rules will give an indication of likely outcome, the individual decisions on the merits are not strictly subject to precedent and outcomes may vary depending on circumstances. European Harmonization Provisions Under Article 3 of the proposed Rome II Regulation on the Law Applicable to Non-Contractual Obligations, July 22, 2003, there would be a general presumption that the Lex Loci Delicti will apply subject to either an exception in paragraph 2 for the application of the law to any common habitual residence between the parties. The concept of habitual residence is the civil law equivalent of the common law test of lex domicilii. This exception will be satisfactory so long as the laws are substantially the same on the claimed relief. An exception in paragraph 3 for cases in which the non-contractual obligation is manifestly more closely connected with another country. The so-called proximity criterion. Until formal guidance is given on the circumstances in which either exception will operate, there will either be considerable forum shopping to select the states with the most favorable interpretation, or courts will resolve the uncertainty by applying the lex fori. In product liability cases, Article 4 selects the law of the injured party's habitual residence if the product was marketed there with the consent of the defendant. The rationale is that if a defendant knows of, and is benefiting from, sales in the plaintiff's state, the choice of that state's law is reasonable. Article 6 specifies the lex fori for actions arising out of breach of privacy or defamation, a rule that may increase the risk of forum shopping. Whether the plaintiff has any right of reply in a defamation case will be determined under the law of the state where the broadcaster or publisher is established. In cases where contract and tort issues overlap, Article 9 proposes that the same law govern both sets of issues. English Law General Rule with the exception of defamation which continues to apply the proper law test, S-10 Private International Law, Miscellaneous Provisions, Act 1995 abolishes the double action ability test, and S-11 applies the Lex Loci Delicti rule subject to an exception under S-12 derived from Boys v. Chaplin and Red Sea Insurance Company Limited v. Boys JSA. Thus, it is no longer necessary for the case to be based on a tort actionable in England. The English courts must apply wider international tests and respect any remedies available under the applicable law or lex cause including any rules on who may claim, for example, whether a personal representative may claim for a fatal accident, and who the relevant defendant may be, for example, the English court would have to apply the applicable laws rules on vicarious liability or the identity of an occupier of land. The first step is for the court to decide where the tort occurred, which may be complicated if relevant events took place in more than one state. S. 11.2 distinguishes between Actions for personal injuries, it is the law of the place where the individual sustained the injury. Damage to property, it is the law of the place where the property was damaged. 
In any other case, it is the law of the place in which the most significant element or elements occurred. The first two tests seem to provide a workable balance between the interests of the claimant and the defendant by selecting the law of the place in which the claimant suffered the harm, but problems remain. In Henderson v. Hoen, 2002, there was continuing damage as the condition arising from original injury deteriorated. Similarly, in Roaring v. Valiant Trawlers Limited, where the accident occurred on board an English ship, the main consequences in terms of loss were felt by the deceased's family in the Netherlands, their habitual residence, not England. The third rule, which will apply in economic torts, breach of privacy, etc., requires a test comparable to the proper law. In Multinational Gas and Petrochemical Company v. Multinational Gas and Petrochemical Services Limited, negligent management decisions were based on financial reports prepared in England. Because the decisions were taken and the losses were sustained outside England, English law was not the most significant. In McCall and Rostov AGV Donaldson Lufkin and Janrat Incorporated action in New York induced a breach of contract in England where the loss was sustained, so English law was the more significant. Section 12. In exceptional circumstances, the lex loci delicti rule is displaced in favor of another law, if the factors relating to the parties or any of the events which constitute the tort show that this other law will be substantially more appropriate. Suppose that an English employer sends an employee on a business-related journey to Arcadia. During the course of this journey, the employee is injured while driving a car provided by the employer for this purpose. All the relevant connecting factors favor the application of English law except that the injury itself was sustained elsewhere. In Edmunds v. Simmons, 2001, it was held more appropriate to displace the lex loci delicti and to apply English law to the consequences of the road traffic accident in Spain involving two English friends who had traveled abroad for a short holiday and where the majority of the losses and expenses were suffered in England. In Morin v. Bonhams and Brooks Limited, 2003, a bad buy was made in Monaco as a result of allegedly fraudulent information fed to the buyer in London. The case involved representations made about the qualities of a classic car auction by the defendants in Monaco and bought by the claimant who had received the brochure which made the alleged misrepresentations in England. He had, to a certain extent, relied on them in England, by arranging to travel to Monaco for the auction, and he had suffered loss in England where the car was found not to meet the description in the brochure. The car had, however, been subject to auction in Monaco where the bid sum was payable. The court held that the claimant's decision to bid and to commit himself to the purchase was by far the most significant act, and that was done in Monaco. The judge offered the obiter dicta that had the claimant made a telephone bid from England, a different judgment would probably have been made. The Law School of America This has been a Creative Commons licensed podcast. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution. Share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America. Mm-hmm.